the Power Chair Podcast. Welcome to Set Ball, the one and only podcast about all things Power Chair football. My name's Siobhan Stevenson, and I'm here with my mate Dave Lewis. Dave. Hello, how are you? We're back again. <laughs> we are back again on a very hot day this time. It's amazingly hot. I think something's happened to the sun to make it closer to the earth. <laughs> I don't know if that's I think impossible. that sounds like a scene um, out of Bruce Almighty. It, it sounds like Independence Day or something. Like it that. does. It does. Mighty it's, heart. I've just been in the car, so that makes things a bit worse as well. Well, it's like a little oven in my room, yeah. but I've got plenty of water, and uh, hopefully that will see us through. Right? Do you want to introduce our guests today? Okay, I certainly do. This is the fifth edition of our podcast. Um, we have two very distinguished guests. Um, guests, very famous people in the world of power chair football. First of all, I'd like to introduce Chris Gordon, who's player, manager of West Bromwich Albion, legend of the game. Hi, Chris. How are you doing? Hi, Dave. Thank you for the, the uh, <laughs> very pleasing introduction. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, as Dave said, play, uh, play, a co- play a coach for West Bromwich Albion, um, lucky enough to be the England goalkeeper, um, and also look about selling the strike force chairs at the same time. So, other chairs are available, we have to say that. And by popular demand. <laughs> and secondly, our second guest, um, I've known this lad a long time, just like Chris, known him since he was a wee nipper. I'm sorry to embarrass you. It's Brad Bates. Are you right, Brad? He's a West Point child yeah, player, helps me coach Cheltenham um, Southwest All Stars, and also is currently part of the England squad and was part of the England squad when won the Extra Nations Cup last year. So, hello, Brad. How are you? Not bad, thanks, Dave. Yourself? I'm very well. Are you as hot as us? That's the question. Yeah, Melton. <laughs> wow. Nice okay. to meet you, boys. Uh, thanks for coming on. I've been looking forward to you. I've known you both years, so should be a good chat. Vastly experienced individuals. Lots to say on that. I'm really looking forward to this one. As always, I've got my little whistle. So if I've got a question, I'll mostly leave it to Dave, but if I've got a question, I'll, I'll blow my whistle and I'll jump in. Okay, so we crack on, Siobhan, first question then? Yep. Okay, boys, we've introduced you a little bit, obviously, right, but tell us about yourselves and, and the club you are from, and tell us how long you've been playing, if you don't mind. Let's have Chris. Good afternoon. Um, obviously, my name's Chris Gordon. I play power chair football for West Bromwich Albion. Um, I'm the player manager of the first team, but also coach uh, West Bromwich Albion Dudley in the championship. Um, as touched on previously, I'm very fortunate enough to, to play for England. I'm the, the current England goalkeeper um, and hopefully will continue to be in the squad for the World Cup in 2022 now. Um, and yeah, at the same time, I also sell the Strike Force Power Chair Football Chair through my business. Um, so I'm lucky enough to deal with many of the guys and girls playing power chair football up and down the country on a daily basis. So that's me. Excellent introduction. And um, Brad, yourself? Yeah, I'm Brad Bates. Uh, I've been playing for around 10, 11 years-ish, as well as, like you said earlier, coaching Charlton All Stars for yourself. Uh, I'm also quite heavily involved with GBG, like Cosby on Grass, away from the All Stars, going into colleges and schools and learning able-bodied people about coaching power chair football too. So that's quite enjoyable. Excellent. And uh, just touch on the Nations Cup triumph last year, but I know we'll come on to it more. 
Um, but, but, you know, just tell us in a few words and also, Chris, the, the experience of winning the tournament. For me, it was just initially an honour to be selected in the training camp squads leading up to it. But, you know, to find out that I was on the plane and go in and actually managed to start the first three games. So I was really proud of that. But, you know, these guys in the latter stage of the tournament absolutely smashed it. You know, I was bit gutted not to be involved but that just makes me want to work harder so that next time round I'll be part of that team on the pitch hopefully Go on yourself Chris Yeah obviously very uh, very proud to have won the, the Nations Cup in Finland um, it was a lot of years in the making um, Dave as you know you've been involved with the England teams in the past yeah, yeah. Uh, we haven't had the best of luck when it comes to finals um, so it was nice to, to get over the line and, and, and get, get one under our belt uh, I think that really gave us the, the motivation to kick on. Um, and obviously, when we came back, we saw how, how delighted everyone was in the power chair football community. And I think it just, you know, strengthens the case for what we do here in England and, and showcases that we have the, the, the best National League structure and um, the best players playing the game. Um, mm-hmm. I think across will stand us in good stead for the World Cup in uh, 2022. Definitely. Just, I will come to you in one second, Siobhan, just touching on something Chris said, because it is very... Um, and it's very pertinent to myself, you know, and now I, I um, know for a fact how hard these boys have worked to win that tournament in England. I, I actually dropped out of the England squad 2017 now, so over three years ago, so I know what it takes to sort of get to that level and more, you know, and, and, and these guys, um, like, you know, work their absolute socks off, that's putting it mildly, <laughs> to win that tournament. And, you know, um, you know, as Chris touched upon, we've been in a few finals previously, not had the best of luck, but, you know, absolutely made up for these boys. To, you know, to finally get that you know piece of silverware in the hands for for West Brom and England, obviously. So, Siobhan, got a question? Yeah, I, it was it was kind of following up on what you're talking about. Um, I just wanted to ask Chris. It must be hard to juggle both team football and England football, and this time round to be doing that and then suddenly be cut short. How did that feel? Yeah, obviously disappointing. Um... Obviously, everyone's health is more important and, and, you know, we'll get back to football when it's safe to do so. Um, we were quite fortunate as a club at West Brom that we were top of the league and we, we would win the league on the points per game system. So every cloud has a silver lining, so to say, and that was, that was our cloud. So, um, But it's one of those things. Um, we all play football to be competitive and, 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 you know, to try and compete on the court and we want to do that and that's the... You know, that's the, the, the real shame of the circumstances we find ourselves in. Um, you have to try and find other ways to uh, keep active and, and to, to, to communicate as a team. Obviously, our football training is our, our time together and then on the match days as well. So it's difficult, but um, I think that it gives you that little bit of extra motivation for when we do get to return. I think that sometimes you can get caught up in the the routine and take it for granted whereas I think everyone playing power chair football now when we do get to return um, they will have certainly missed it and they'll, they'll be looking forward to, to getting stuck stuck into the, the National League whenever that, that does come back Okay and thanks boys and we've heard about you know um, your current roles in the sport and you know your England achievements briefly right but if you could cast your minds back because you've both been playing in excess of a decade so um how did you both get involved in the sport what was that first spark that you experienced so to speak uh, brad we'll come to you first if that's okay 
I'd always, from a kid, loved football. Been a season ticket holder since I was really young at West Brom with my dad. So obviously, I've been in a wheelchair since I was three, and I just wanted to be involved any way I could. When I was younger, that was more so just I don't know refereeing games at school, etc. Um, but we just came across it by accident, really online, and got in touch with Paul Hunt at the Albion, and it weren't long, and we was welding a old school bumper to my day chair and getting involved. And uh, Chris yourself, it's a little bit different. Didn't involve welding, but I I I am here. It involved a car tire. Similar sort of background there in terms of modifying day chairs to play. But back when I started, um, there wasn't any guards, so it was it was going to your local um, quick fit or or <laughs> tire, tire provider, um, asking for an old battered tire to be cut in half. Uh, they probably thought, "What the hell's going on here? Why did they?" <laughs> They let him out for a diet, no? <laughs> um, and cable tying that to the front of our, our day chairs to, to drive into a great big football and the sport sort of resembled bumper cars back then. Um, but yeah, my, my initial experience wasn't a positive one. So I had school at, at secondary school. Um, as a kid growing up, I, I was always trying to be involved in football as, as, as best as I could. Um, when I was physically able, I used to spend a lot of time on my knees in goal, diving around, uh, playing in the playground or in the muddy fields with my friends. Um, but then when my disability deteriorated and I had to use a power chair on a day-to-day basis, um, I was left without with sport to get stuck into, really. So, again, by chance, my PE teacher heard about power chair football. Um, he, he heard about some open sessions that were taking place at Worcester University. Um, I went across to see what the sport was all about. As I say, I didn't particularly enjoy it in the first experience because, to me, what the sport was back then um, didn't resemble uh, the able-bodied game um, and what, and certainly doesn't reflect what the sport is now. So the sport's come on a long way since. Um, and, yeah, I've been playing ever since and the love for the sport takes over, as we all know, um, and we get stuck into plenty of other things at the same time and, and all of a sudden parachair football becomes your life, so... I'm very fortunate to be in the position I am now, enjoying football and playing at the highest level. Two excellent examples of um, how people got involved in the sport. You know, from my personal experience, I'm a little bit older than Brad and Chris, just a little bit. Um, you know, so I sort of come from a different background. I didn't start playing until I was 25. So I kind of come from a different angle to these boys here. You know, they were much younger, you know, so I, I found it later in life, but still love it just as much. No, it's uh, definitely changed my life. You know, I was working at the BBC before I started playing power football, so nothing to do with football at all. Now I work in it, I've got a full-time job in it near enough, um, you know, and it's become my life, as Chris said, so it just kind of take over, um, which is a good thing. And um, we, you know, we know we desperately love it and we want it back because we've not, we, we are missing it. Um, right then, boys. Um, Obviously, you know, um, you know, you've been very successful the last few years, both with West Bromwich Albion and England, right? But what does it take to make a winning power chair football team? Chris, can we come to you first with your coach's head on, if that's okay? And then Brad, you can put your coach's head on as well. I think for me, um, it, it, it will always come down to hard work. Um, you, you're not, you don't get anything in life; it's not given to you, so you do have to work hard at it. Um, and that doesn't suggest that the people that I haven't been fortunate to, to win the National League or, or, or whatever it may be. Don't work hard. But um, talent will only get you so far and you have to, you have to make up the rest with, with, with that determination and that, that, that inner sort of uh, 
fire to to go and get the job done um obviously there's there's more technical reasons to it as well the game's very tactical now um so you know i'd like to think at west brom that we we do work hard at that side of things so we do a lot of video analysis um and we'll we'll look at areas uh, we, where we can improve ourselves and we'll also look at areas where we think we can exploit weaknesses in other teams um so that that that's massive the the video as i said has helped with that the wfa stream everyone's got access to to footage now so there's no excuses to not be looking at that and and to be using that that tool um and then you need a good group of of players boys or girls who are obviously passionate about the sport um and you need that sort of that team spirit their team spirit's vital um you know you don't have to be the best of friends off the pitch um but on the pitch you you need to fight each other's cases and 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 have each other's backs um and and be prepared to work collectively to achieve that one goal good answer chris nice mate and bad yourself yeah i think like chris said you know it's all one and good having all the talent in the world but that only gets you so far i think one of the things with the albion especially if you look at some of the players that chris brought in over the last few years you know we've got a, a really good mix of not just good players on the pitch but like you said We've got great character and we've got great team chemistry off the pitch. You know, we've got a seven-man squad. Everyone wants to play every minute, but we've got good competition. But also nobody's bitter about it. We've got a great team mentality. You know, we all want to push each other to be the best we can be. So that's that's why, in my opinion, you know, if you're on the bench, then everyone's sort of prompting each other to work harder and fight for that spot in the starting team. But on the other side, like I just said, we're not, no one's bitter about it. We want to see the, the four on the pitch succeed. And I think that mentality has carried us through the past couple of years. Excellent. Thanks for that. Um, so tell us then, you know, you've both been part of Westport Albion for years and years. Right? So tell us more about the Albion Foundation and their role in sort of growing the team, you know, right? because, um, you know, the Albion's one of the biggest sort of power check clubs we've got, you know, and it's a different type of club as well because it's connected to the mainstream like football club. There were, there were probably about seven or eight of our power check clubs in England who are structured like that. Many others are kind of local charities or born from, you know, you know, specialist units, say, like, you know, take, you know, take a spire was born out of the, the you know, the spinal um, unit in Watford. Um, you know, but West Brom, as I say, is connected to the mainstream club. So what kind of support do you get and what's it like being connected to that mainstream club? Can I, Brad, can I come to you? Because you're a massive Albion fan anyway. I know you are, Chris, too. But Brad, you know, since a young lad, you've been going to the games. What does it mean for you then to put on that shirt and play for them? Like you say, it's quite surreal, really. Obviously, mm. you supported West Brom for as long as I can remember. Yeah. Um, so to get to where we are now, obviously, we've won three league titles playing for my club that I support. But even off the pitch, you know, I've been quite fortunate to have opportunities where last year I gave a talk about sort of my journey through Power football to the West Brom first team. So as a West Brom fan myself, that was you know exciting um, opportunity. But then you know we got some like myself a few years ago. We got the young guys coming through in the Dudley team and the development teams who support West Brom. But we've got that link, and you know the players come over at times. You know we get guest appearances from the players, and to see the smiles on their faces after that, it it lasts for weeks. You know just the uh, the boost that that gives them getting to the players and. And that just has a really positive impact on them all around, really. Excellent. 
question from Siobhan, and then we might have to go for two v one. I just wanted to ask Brad, just to follow up on, on what you just said about giving a talk to the first team. Were there any players there who, like, that you're a fan of that specific player and you found yourself in this situation talking to them about your journey? I think just on the whole, really, it was just, it's just a really unusual experience you never really expect. Obviously, it's a testament to how far the sport's grown as well. But, like, you know, starting off, I wouldn't think I'd ever know any of them personally, if you like. But, you know, leading on from that, I'm in regular contact with some of the players for Instagram and stuff. So as a fan, it's it's quite crazy, really. Yeah, it must be mad. Chris, yeah. what what, uh, what about you? What what do you think? I think, you know, following on from what Brad said, obviously you've got a lot of boys and girls and you're a part of it who are, are big Albion fans. Um, for my sins, I, you know, I was a little glory hunter, Man United fan uh, as a child and, and never really had the team to aff- affiliate to. Um, but then when Powerchair Football came about and started playing for West Brom, you know, that instantly becomes your club. Um, and you do you do want to see the, the first team successful on the pitch. But the, just the structure at the Albion Foundation that we've got, it's, it's um, you know, I think we, me, Dave and Brad would all agree, it's probably the most professional structure in the, in the sport of Powerchair Football in the country just because of the number of teams that we have there and um, the opportunities that people have off the back of it. Um, all three of us have been put for our coaching badges, um, which has led to, to you know, career opportunities, which is fantastic. Um, but again, the, the fact that we, we don't have to worry about fundraising, um, mm. we've got our own sports hall there that's, that's you know, talking about the restart of power chair football after coronavirus we're quite fortunate that it's not a public sports hall. Um, we haven't got to fight people off for bookings. It's there for us when we can return. Um, so just having that professional structure in place is massive and it means that we can focus on playing the game um, rather than worrying about the off-the-pitch uh, logistics that I don't think anyone enjoys too much, to be honest. So. <laughs> I've got a question for all three of you, actually. Is there anything any of the other teams could do to tempt you away from West Brom? Not for me personally. No, you're, you're a West Brom boy more. through and through. Yeah. Yeah. Chris? If Eddie Howe had stayed at Bournemouth, I think I would have... Uh, <laughs> if, if Eddie Howe was up for doing some weekly coaching sessions together, I think that would have probably persuaded it for me. But uh, no, I think, you know, over the years, when times would times are quite hard at the Albion and we, we weren't as successful as we might have liked. I always, always come home from National League weekend saying, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm moving to someone else. I'm not playing for them again. But it's, it's, it's our club and I think we, you know, um, we are loyal to, to the Albion Foundation for what they've done for us. I think, that's, I think that's right, really. You know, I'm employed by the Albion Foundation now. You know, but in the past, I've had offers. Nothing probably as good a setup as West Brom. I've had opportunities to go elsewhere and experience other things, but I've always said no. Plus, it's easy to get to training straight after work. <laughs> <laughs> we're in the best place in, in, like in our opinion, we have to say that because we're all employed by the Albion Foundation. But you know, we all represent the foundation with pride, obviously, from for many years now. All of us are ten years plus, so lots of experience. Excellent, right? I think it's time for two v one. We might have even overrun a little bit. Two v one. Um, okay, first one's just literally given 
three seconds now, nah, nah, ten seconds. Okay. <laughs> Big Brad's going to gobble this up. You know the rules now, boys. If you get it right, you get the point. If you get it wrong, go and get the point. Okay, first two, three points. Okay, best of five. Karen, on the mark, let's go. Name three clubs, beginning with the letter C. That's for Cat in England. Cheltenham. Crystal Palace and Cornwall. Yeah. I bet you didn't even get a chance to start the clock, Sean. I did. They did it in four seconds. Wow. That's some sort of record. <laughs> One nil. I'm going to mix these up a little bit. Okay, then. 30 seconds on the clock for this one. Ready? I'm going to keep track. Uh, name 10 players, boys, to have scored 100 or more National League goals. Myself. Chris Gordon, yeah, one. John Bolden. So, keep going. Bobby Williams. Yeah. Jordan. Jordan yeah, five. That's five. Jordan and Charlie's right. Rob Thompson. Harry Buddy. Yeah. Yeah, eight. Louis Hammonds. Yes, nine. One. Matt Francis. No, Matt isn't one of them. No. Jordan Duke. Jordan Duke. Got it. Got it. Got it. Got oh, it. That's okay. ten. That's ten. Dave Lewis is just below. Jordan Duke is just a hundred. He's bang on a hundred. He scored his, um, you know, he scored his hundredth goal this season. Um, you know, and sadly we're all missing Jordan. We must say. So, hats off to him. Finally remembered. Yes, he's on the list. He was the last you, person to do it. You did that with five seconds to spare. Well done. Two nil. Well done. Um, third question. This is getting too easy. Okay, slightly different question now. To the, um, they don't need a time on this, Siobhan. We're just going okay. to say. To the nearest 10, so when I say 10, I mean like you know, 110, 120, or 310, 310, uh, 320. To the nearest 10, how many National League goals has Johnny Baldwin scored? If you get it, if you get within 20, I'll give it a point. Any ideas, Brad? No, I did it a while ago for for a question or something. I can't remember for life, mate. You got 30 seconds from now, points. Don't get texting him. He won't respond. He probably don't know himself. What do you reckon, Brad? I think it's above 250. Yeah. It's at least 10 years of banging in at least 30 goals a season. So I'm giving you a clue. I'm swaying towards like 350-ish. Yeah, let's, should we go with that? That's, that can't be far away. Yeah. Five. What's your four, final answer, boys? Three. Two. Three. Two. Three. What did I say? Within 20? Yeah. Oh, my God. You're just within 20. 368. Oh. That is within 20. Well done, boys. Well done. <laughs> cool. Well done, boys. That's my backside, 3 <laughs> <three> now. <laughs> and that's half time. I love power chair football because of the social side and having banter and laughs with my mates. From a parent's perspective, we just feel like it gives him an opportunity to get in, involved in a competitive sports environment that would normally be closed off to him. I love the amount of freedom it gives us as players. When I was younger, I tried other activities in other places. You know, they just didn't understand disabilities in, in uh, power chair football. I just love the uh, how understanding people are. I like the competitive nature of the game and the way it feels to play. I love power chair football because it allows me to play an adapted version of the sport I've loved since I was a child. 
ready to crack on? Probably Chris coming to you first and you can talk a little bit about the chairs. What are the biggest changes you have seen to the sport over the years? Yeah, I mean, you touched on it. The chairs, the chairs is definitely um, one of the major things. I've heard other guests speak about it previously. Um, you know, we were playing in modified day chairs at, at the start and then the Invercare Storms and TDXs came in and they were slightly better. Um, but yeah, the, the new chairs have allowed us to, to change the way the game's played. Um, it's led to a, a lot a lot more entertaining games, I think we'd all say, a lot more goals, um, teams scoring against teams where previously they probably wouldn't have had a chance because the game's a little bit more open. Uh, so that's obviously had a massive impact. But I think the sort of the England structure really helped because it gave um, the players at the top end of the game, especially somewhere to go. I think that you know, if the FA didn't get in, hadn't have got involved, it might have been a bit stale representing um, a WFA national team rather than an official England team. Um, so for me personally, that's been a, that's been massive. I've been able to train at St George's Park, um, where the Free Lions uh, receiving an England cap every time you you play in a tournament. You know, that, that's massive. And I think for our game going forward, having that affiliation to the FA. Um, will only help the sport develop in, in our country even more. So for me, that's probably, you know, personally, that's probably how it's affected me the most, being able to represent England as a as an international player. So, And by yourself, what's the biggest changes you've seen? Because, you know, I remember your first bumper, you know, it took us a while to get that off your chair, mate. And then um, yeah. all of a sudden, now you're pinging the ball everywhere. So what, so what has changed for you? Just great so far, the sport's gone a whole. I mean... When I first started, I was, I think it's about eight or nine, and I was straight into the National League with that cage bumper and all. So, um, whereas now we've got a great pathway with the regional teams, then the Dudley team, and then the Frostles, you know, all the way to the top. And, you know, if you're fortunate enough to get into the first team, that's where you're really looking to push on towards the England setup. So, you know, it's great to see a pathway all the way down through the club, as well as other clubs as well. And, and the league on the whole has really improved that being able to have the the live streams, it's helped us all as players and us as coaches. You know, I mean, the regular video analysis sessions during lockdown when we've not been able to get on the pitch and train, they, they've been vital for all of us, really. Excellent. Um, just to expand a little bit on what the boys said, you know, the FA took over the one over the national team in 2013. And I think then, you know, it's given, like, you know, the opportunity for the boys and girls to train at St George's Park. They've also trained at Liverpool, been to international tournaments, won the three lines on chess. So I think that really does give players and um, you know something to aim for, and also the coaches. You know, it gives the coaches you know you know something to aim for with their players. You know, you know to get them to that level. Um, before that, the England team, as Chris touched upon, didn't really get you know that much attention. You know, but having that relationship with the FA, you know, is vital probably for moving forward. I had a very faint whistle. It's not very loud today. Almost everybody has talked about a kind of professionalisation of the game, if you like, and and sort of career pathways through it, you know. I mean, obviously, that would be the ultimate aim, I suppose, for everybody um, who's playing would like to make that their career if they can have a complete career in football. Um where do you see it going next? What do you think it needs to kind of push the game forward a bit more and professionalise it a bit more? 
think we need a better WFA chairman, to be honest. Oh, wow. <laughs> 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 I'm only joking. As more players um, grow up in the sport and they get a passion for coaching and they get a passion for for the the, the structure of the sport and the off the field stuff, um, we'll hopefully get to a position where our committee is, is run by players or fellow players, ex, you know, people who, who don't play the game involved as well to help out with their expertise. I think there's, I think there's a lot more that the players can do. Um, you know, we've got guys and girls going off to university and studying various sports degrees and, and they want careers in sport. I think there's, we'll get to a point where there's an opportunity to work with the WFA, um, whether that's voluntary to start with or, or, or whatever. But you you can you can get stuck into the, the sport and, and and almost create a full time job for yourself because we don't get enough funding and uh, it's limited opportunities. But what's stopping someone coming in um, and creating a, a fundraising role for themselves and and bringing money into the, the league as as sponsorship and taking a bit of a commission themselves and and you know creating work for themselves that way. So I think as the, as the players get older and they get more experience and more more skills, a bit a bigger skill set behind them in terms of what they want to achieve in their careers. They might be able to make that work with the WFA and help grow power chair football in England. Brad, yeah. I think for us, obviously we touched on it slightly earlier, but us as Albion having a link with the professional clubs is quite a good way to go forward. Personally, obviously we've got Bournemouth have done it and Newcastle. And that's a good way to get us in the public eye a bit more, really. But I think we just got to keep pushing it in house as much as we can. You know, the chairs have, as Chris said earlier, enabled us to resemble the the running game more, and we're able to pass the ball, and it's much more pleasing to watch. So hopefully that will get more of the general public involved, and hopefully we can get more sponsorship opportunities and more publicity from there. Excellent answer, boys, and an excellent question, Siobhan. Um, just to just to expand, you know, from a WFI perspective, you know, we want to, you know, only push the sport forward. We've done loads of work in lockdown. It has actually been, you know, a little bit above, um, you know, one of the positives, the fact that we've had this time to kind of take stock, have a think about where we're going. And, you know, we've done so much. We've read on the website, we've read on the logo, we're doing these podcasts, lots of work with the business and sports plan. You know, lots of work with looking for people to help us out, professional people, not just volunteers. And I think that's where I want to head. I want more sort of paid positions for the WFA. That involves us bringing money in, whether we have to employ someone to actually get the money in. You can only go so far on volunteers, and volunteers can only commit so much time rather than someone who's actually paid to do that job, who's actually monitored to do that job. Do you know what I mean? And and is also accountable for, for that role, you know, so that's where I want to go with it. And ho- hopefully we can do that in the next sort of 12 to 18 months, despite all that's going on with the virus. Does that make sense? Yes. <laughs> Got that bit out if you want. Um, <laughs> okay, where were we? One last question, then we're going to play final challenge, and then we've got the question about what you would change in power chair football. I've asked you about your, uh, your England experiences and how you found it winning last year's Nations Cup. But I just want to flip it on its head, look forward. How much are you looking forward to the World Cup in Australia? Now it's been put back here because of the virus since 2022. How much are you building for that and how much are you looking forward to it? Chris, come to you. 
Well, you can never count your chickens. So I hope, hope I'm still involved at that point. Um, you know, it has been put back a year. I'm going to be a year older. Um, so hopefully the form, the form's there when we return from lockdown. I haven't sat in my chair for about five months, so I might not even fit in it. So, um, but yeah, very much looking forward. I'm a to bit worried about that, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> very much looking forward to going and playing in Sydney if I, if I do get the opportunity. Obviously, travelling to Sydney is, is amazing anyway, but to go over there and compete in a World Cup, you know, you can't, I can't think of uh, a better experience than that, really. So, off the back of the success we had in, in Finland with the Euros, um, as a team, um, the current team from, from, from that point, obviously there might be new players coming in. It's a long time away. Um, we've, we've, with the help of our, with Erin, the psychologist, we've tried to keep that momentum, really, and we're really trying to be trying to challenge ourselves to think, you know, how can we improve on what we've done and not just stay still and expect that to get the result next time um, to, to kick on again. So it's going to be an exciting two years, a lot of training camps, I hope, um, hopefully some fresh faces that come in and, and um, if nothing else, keep, keep the current squad on their toes. So we have to work hard to, to stay there and then fingers crossed that results in a nice trophy and a medal to come home with. It's half bad. Yeah, I mean, you know, like I said earlier, I was really pleased to be part of the Finland squad and moving forward, I'd like to be involved even more if I can. But, you know, the, the young players coming through, no doubt they'll keep us on our toes. They're in a great position because they're coming into the game with it at this stage now. You know, all they're going to know is the, the beautiful passing game that we can play nowadays. So that's really good for them. Um, and yeah, just being honoured to be a part of the squad again. But we've got a lot of hard work to put in. As Chris said, everyone's been pivotal to our success in Finland and going forward. And that's really the main contact we've had during lockdown as well. So we're really keeping a good mentality and everyone just wants to see us push forward even more from our success in Finland. Excellent. I did tell one line. I just want to pick up on something you've both said, and I've heard you speak about it before, especially Chris. Can you just explain in 30 seconds quick the support that Erin gave you from a psychology point of view? Because that is definitely something that I could have done with that support when I was kind of in England squad. You know, I used to get quite nervous and not know how to deal with it. So was that the difference, do you think, between winning and losing? I think it was, yeah. Um, you know, I'd openly admit it, it was massive for me. Mm. Uh, not necessarily dealing with nerves because I think, you know, everyone has nerves going into a big game because they want to do well and they don't want to they don't want to be on the losing team come the final whistle. But um, just dealing with certain scenarios and, and understanding what other people might be going through, you know, it's been, hope, I like to think it's been beneficial for me as a coach as well away from playing that, you know, I can understand other people's worries, um, you know, um, and what what might be having a, sometimes a, a negative impact on their game and, and try and help them much as rather than, you know, just focusing on myself. Uh, I think that's been massive for me. And, you know, Erin helped me sort of working with John as well because obviously me and John are two sort of senior players in that England squad. Um, both run our own club teams, have our own different ideas sometimes on how the game's played. Um, and I think me and John will both admit we've come to head, you know, come to blows at times because we both think our way is the right way. So it really helped in that 
in that respect for me because I, I could understand maybe where John was in certain, in certain circumstances, certain environments, um, and try to um, approach what I do differently that might get a better reaction out of John and then in turn might help the team a little bit more. So, you know, it's thinking about the process rather than just acting out of emotion, I suppose. And Erin Erin really helped me with that. And hopefully she's helped the other guys uh, come out of their shell a little bit more and deal with whatever affects their own game. And, you know, I think it was evident that it did work because we went 2-0 down in the final where we've gone 2-0 down before and, and, and you know, we came back and, and won on penalties. And I think that would be massive for our game going forward. Excellent. We'll leave it there if that's okay and we'll move on to the final challenge if you're ready for it, boys. The final challenge. So, Siobhan, are you ready for I am. the magic clock? 40 seconds. Should we go 40 seconds? Yes, 40 20, seconds. 20, because they're going to smash these out of the park, I think. I will One start the clock oh, as soon podcast. as Dave finishes the question. Don't forget, do not repeat an answer and try and get the club. So, obviously, West Bromwich Albion's a club. Fossils isn't the club, Okay. You know that, and there's other clubs that are very similar to that setups. So take it in turns. You can say five each and then swap. It's entirely up to you. If you do repeat, though, your go is over and you'll be told to stop. <laughs> okay, is that all right, boys? Okay. Clear? Yeah. All right, then. So, Siobhan. Okay. Go. Ready, steady, go. West Brom, Northern Thunder, Aspire, Seven Oaks, Villa Rockets, Nottingham. St George's Knights, Man United, Sale, uh, Brighton, and Bournemouth. Two side: Newcastle, Cheltenham, Leeds, Shifnal, Eels, North Bees, Norwich, Middlesbrough, Worcester Wizards, um, Swindon, Faversham, Reading, Cornwall, Crystal Green, Palace, Greenbank, Man City, Froome Falcons. Uh, Five, Ulster, four. Three, two, one. Time's up. Dave, did you calculate that? I was pressing the a one every time they said one, so hold on. Because I couldn't keep up with that. Right there. That was quick. I mean, usually I do them on my fingers, and I lost my fingers when we were doing Kath and Kaz. So, but I couldn't, I couldn't even keep up this time. 33 on that. <gasps> West oh, wow. Bromwich Albion are top of the leaderboard with 33. Faversham. I mean, who are they? No offense. <laughs> Wait, well done. Faversham? <laughs> we'll have to get Faversham on now. We will. I'm going to get someone from Faversham. If you are from Faversham, let us know. Yeah. Get in touch. Okay. Cool. Right. One last question. If you could change one law of the game, I've been told off the same rule, so one law of the game in parachair football, then what would it be and why? And Brad, I'm going to come to you first. Try and go something a little bit different. I'm going to go with, I'd like to see the standard size of the court changed. Um, obviously, in Finland, we've played on a much bigger court than we managed to normally. And that really helped us and other teams to really showcase the passing football. So I think if we could have that sort of size as the standard or the minimum, you know, um, I think that would really help us going forward to really showcase some passing football and get more people interested. Chris? I'm going to be boring. Uh, repeat something that was said by uh, someone previously, but I think it's, it's, 
it's a rule that or a law um, that drives me mad. The two-on-one law. So I think we have to try and favour that law to, to suit the passing the, the passing team, the attacking team a little bit more. Um, it's easy for the, the defensive team at time to get in a, into a, a defensive setup, um, not really try and impact the game, um, and they get the advantage of a free kick um, at the, off the back of it. Whereas I think, as it's, you know, I think it was touched on previously. My 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 views again. I, I completely agree with what was said. The if I think the defender should have to touch the ball um, for it to be an offence. So that will encourage the opposition team to come out of their defensive block um, to try and make contact with the ball to to benefit by getting the free kick, um, which hopefully then will lead to more um, more passing plays, um, which result into goals, which make the game more enjoyable to watch. Um, I think for spectators who aren't involved in power chair football, that would help them a little bit more as well, understanding what the game's about. Because sometimes you see a two-on-one and, you know, as players we go, what, you know, why have they given that? Um, so it might help, it might help, you know, the, the, the general public understand and enjoy our game a little bit more. And then I'm going to be greedy and if we could reduce the size of the football a little bit, um, again, hopefully that leads to more longer spells of passing play because passes can't get intercepted as easily, um, resulting in more goals because the ball's harder to defend because it's smaller. It might also have a nice impact on the safety. The ball might stay on the floor a little bit more. So two-on-one rule and the size of the football. Excellent. Great answers. So, so Brad wants to make the pitch bigger and Chris wants to make the ball smaller. There's the final whistle. Boys, thank you so much. Really enjoyed that. Bye. Bye. Hey, boys. Thank you. Setball is an Outer Circle production.